And uh, great to be in the church here, which I've uh, heard about and followed their progress. And so it's nice to have met some of you already. And you've got great pastors, by the way. And I'm not just saying that because they're there, but they really are great people. And uh, if I lived in the Hawkesbury, this would be in the top five churches that I'd consider <laughs> going to. I'd try them all out. And no, I'd, I'd come to this church. This is a good church. And so thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And to uh, whoever served the meal that we ate before the service. was. Did you all have dinner here? That was just me. Oh, sorry. I thought you all got blessed with the food. It was just me. I just got blessed. And then there's Judah and, yeah, that's Judah. I know I was looking at you, but talking about Judah, just to try and throw you off your game and whoever you are. And um, Charlie, where's Charlie? Charlie's over there. So great to meet all the family. Should we get into the Word of God? Or we could just keep chatting. All right, why don't we pray? And we'll get into the... the you're all wondering what the whiteboard is. Well, it's not, what do you call that? Some of you think, why is there a window on stage? Does, can I test this before I actually use it? How's it actually? Well, it gets better. That's just, you know... But I appreciate you having such low expectations that that got an applause. Thank you so much. We're going to pray. Stop mucking around. Heavenly Father, I thank you for good people. And it's just such a joy to be able to gather together in the house of faith with good people. And so, Father, for every person here tonight, whether it's our first time here or whether we've been here many times, whether we're doing brilliantly or whether it's been a bit of a struggle of recent times. I thank you that though we're all from different backgrounds, we all face different challenges, we are all greatly loved of God. And I just pray, let us be better people because we're in the house of God tonight. I pray let faith stir in our hearts. And I just ask that your word tonight would form a deposit in us that would not just be a blessing this evening, but in the weeks and months ahead, we would be able to draw from it that by your spirit, you'd bring back to our remembrance when required things that we discussed tonight that would cause us to have courage, to walk in faith and to continue moving forward with all that you have for us. Father, I believe for great things for every person here. And I just pray by your spirit, you would really minister to each one of us this evening in Jesus name. And everyone said... Amen. Your pastor said to me, don't worry about the time. Preach as long as you want. I can see you're all really thrilled about that. So I figure 7.35, people normally preach a couple of hours. So we'll be done. 8.30, we are well and truly done. Is that all right? Like at the latest. But I've already checked. There is nothing on TV tonight, so you're not missing anything. I heard, Rick, about a preacher who used to preach incredibly long-winded sermons. His messages used to go for hours and hours and hours. He would just drone on and on, much to the dismay of his congregation, though they were all too polite to ever say anything. Well, one particular Sunday, he'd been preaching for three and a half hours. He was still on his introductory remarks. When finally a young man sitting at the front could stand it no longer, he just got up and walked out like in the middle of the service. Well, the preacher was irate and, and watching this decided, I'm going to track him down later this afternoon and find out what was so important that he had to leave in the middle of my message. And so he did. Later that afternoon, he found the young man. He said, I noticed you walked out in the middle of my preaching. What could have been so important that you needed to leave? The young man shrugged and said, well, I'm sorry, but I needed to get a haircut. And he said, well, why didn't you get a haircut before I started preaching? He said, well, I didn't need one then. 
And so, hopefully, you will be okay. We were, what's your name? How long do you want me to preach, Caitlin? It's up to you. You don't really care, do you? As long as I want, you're the best. You'll go to heaven. All right, we're in the book of Genesis chapter 12. If you're, if you're new to church, Genesis chapter 12 is where we're introduced to Abraham, who becomes the father of everyone who has faith in Jesus. And so this is an incredibly important passage of Scripture because Abraham does a lot of things, but this is where we first meet Abraham. And when we meet Abraham, we are told of an encounter that God has with him. I was tempted to say an encounter Abraham has with God, but really we don't find God. God finds us. And so it's not Abraham having an encounter with God. It's God graciously having an encounter with Abraham. And Genesis 12 verse 1 says that the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the Hawkesbury shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot, his nephew, went as well. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, it's easy to read that passage of Scripture and to miss the incredible step of faith that Abraham takes. Abraham is 75 years living in Haran. That's a long time to live in the same place. Prior to moving to Sydney, I'd lived at uh, Mount Louisa for six years. And six years is long enough to become familiar with the area in which you live. I don't know how long you've lived at your address, but six years for me was long enough to work out out of all the coffee shops in town, which was my preferred coffee shop. And not just my preferred coffee shop, but my preferred table at that coffee shop, such that I would sit down and I didn't even need to order anymore. I would just look at the waiter and he would bring me my usual. I like that. With longevity comes familiarity. Familiarity is good. It's comfortable. Out of all the grocery stores in that location, I had my preferred grocery store. When I went for my biannual haircut, I had my preferred, it's not funny, my preferred barber. And so I didn't have to think about where I was going. I didn't have to stop and ask for directions. It was just easy because with longevity comes familiarity. Well, think about Abram. He's lived in the same place 75 years. He knows Haran like the back of his hand. Abraham can't remember the last time he needed to use Google Maps. And into his familiarity steps God. And God says, I want you to leave Haran, where you've lived for 75 years, I want you to go. To which Abraham, obviously, asks, well, we'll go where? And God says, I'll tell you where you're going when you get there. Now, it's one thing for Abraham to agree to this, but how many of you know it's another thing entirely for him to go home to Mrs. Abraham? Because women are not just funny-looking men. They're different. For a man, longevity means familiarity, but for a woman, longevity means familiarity, which means sentimentality. She's just got the curtains the way she's wanted them. She's finally got Abram to clean up the garage. They've at last got furniture that matches, and he's got to go home and tell her we're leaving. I can imagine the scene. They would have sat down at the kitchen table and, and Abraham would have said, Honey, I need to talk to you. And how many of you know when he needs to talk, there's usually a problem because men typically don't talk. And she's like, well, What's going on? He says, God's been speaking to me. She says, Oh, not again. Last time he told you to kill our kid. She says, No, no, it's different. 
I promise you, it's serious. God, God's spoken to me. She sits down, a, a little skeptical, and says, well, what has God said? He says, well, God's told us we've got to leave. She folds her arms, looks at him, and says, leave to go where? I can imagine him shifting nervously in his seat, looking at the carpet, and trying to explain, well, see, here's the thing, sweetheart. God said he'll tell us where we're going when we get there. How many of you know that's not good enough for Mrs. Abram? She wants details. How far are we going? He doesn't know. Will we speak the language? He's not sure. Will we like the food? He hasn't a clue. Will we understand the culture? Will we know anybody there? And to every question she has, he says, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I used to think that when I gave my life to Jesus, everything would become sure. These days, I'm probably less sure than I've ever been. I thought if I go into ministry and serve God, man, everything in life will become crystal clear and certain, and I'm less certain than I've ever been. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed, going as he was called out to the place he would receive his inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. How many of you know when you're a believer in Jesus, not everything becomes crystal clear. In fact, some things are very, very unsure. Let me explain how this works. I want to divide your life into two parts because I've met some of you already and you're clearly bipolar. So uh, let's, let's just say for the sake of illustration that there is a, um, a spiritual dimension to your life. How many of you know that's true? We're, we're not akin to the beasts. We're more akin, well, we're akin to the beasts in our body, but we're akin to God by our spirit. We're, we're made of dust, but how many of you know it's, it's God-breathed dust? Winston Churchill said, all men are worms. I happen to believe I am a glowworm. And so there's the divine spark within us. So we are spiritual beings, but, but we are made of dust. So there's a natural dimension to our lives as well. And as human beings, we are in, incurably curious we ask questions. It starts young from about the age of three or four. Why? 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 And, and that never changes, but the questions become more complex. For instance, we ask questions like, um, who am I? The question of identity. How many of you know that is a spiritual question? Let me prove it to you. Not once has your dog ever sat in its kennel thinking to itself, I know they call me Rover, but who am I really? Your dog doesn't ask those questions, but you and I do because that's a spiritual. The question of identity is a spiritual question. We ask questions like, you know, what am I meant to be doing with my life? That's a question of meaning and purpose. How many of you know purpose? That's a spiritual question. Um, not once has your dog ever chased a car down the road yapping at its tires thinking, oh, this is fun, but what am I really supposed to be doing with my life? An animal doesn't ask such questions, but you and I are obsessed with purpose, uh, and so it's a spiritual question. The, the question of life after death, um, that is a spiritual question. And, and before I gave my life to Jesus, my answer to all of those questions, who am I, why am I here, what happens when I die, was don't know, don't know, don't know. Who am I? I don't know. I, I know who my parents would like me to be. I know who my peer group are trying to convince me to be. I know who the media are trying to brainwash me into being, but... but I don't know who I am. When I finish school, I'm going to take a gap here, go to Europe to find myself. And, uh, and as for meaning and purpose, I don't know. I'm just hoping to make it to next Friday. I'm just hoping to get a bigger limit on my credit card, a bigger house. I, I don't know. And life after death, I don't want to think about 
being the same age as Rick Burrell. And so my answer to all of these questions is it's don't know, don't know, don't know. And how many of you know we were not designed to live life with feet firmly planted in midair? I, I can't stand not being sure. And so because when it comes to spiritual things, before I met Jesus, I was unsure, unsure, unsure. I had to find something about which I could be certain. And so I focused entirely on natural things which I could exercise a measure of control over, such as where am I going to live? How much money am I going to make? Uh, who am I going to be with? Um, and, you know, what am I going to be doing in the next five years? And so those things I focused on exclusively because those things I could control. You know, um, this is the way that most people live. Most people understand there is a spiritual dimension to their lives, but they either don't know or are too lazy to inquire sincerely as to identity or purpose or life after death, that they are completely unsure of these things, but not being able to cope with being unsure, they focus exclusively on these things, but it's not easy to focus exclusively on these things because the question of purpose keeps popping up and the question of identity keeps popping up and life after death, every now and then they go to a funeral and I'm reminded again that there's got to be something more and it's incredibly uncomfortable. That's why we need an entertainment industry because if it wasn't for Hollywood bringing out another blockbuster, I'd probably have to think about things and God knows I don't want to think about things because it scares me not knowing who I am, why I'm here or where I'm going and so please bring out Star Wars 10. <laughs> bring out another Rocky. I don't care. Just bring out something to anesthetize me from having to think about existential questions. And so before I became a Christian, when it came to spiritual things, I was clueless but when it came to the calendar and my diary, I was pretty sure of most things. And then something happened. I went to a church much like this and someone told me about the love of Jesus and I said yes to Jesus. And I invited Jesus into my heart. And I, I didn't understand everything, but I knew enough to know that God was real and I needed him. And then in a very short space of time, Jesus started to speak to me. And he started to answer some of the big questions that I'd been wrestling with. Who am I? I'm, I'm made in the image and likeness of God. And for the first time, I knew what I was supposed to be like because if I'm made in the likeness of God, I just have to look at what He's like and suddenly I get a vision for myself. And as for meaning and purpose, well, God created me to enjoy Him and to be a blessing to others. And so suddenly He fills me with purpose and meaning and destiny and significance. And then as for life after death, well, Jesus said He would go to prepare a place for me. And so I've got the promise of eternal life. And for the first time in my life, I was sure about spiritual things. It was brilliant for the five seconds that it lasted. And then something most unexpected happened. God began to speak to me. And he began to ask me to do things. And he said, you know, give away money. And I said, well, sure. But if I give away money, how am I going to afford McDonald's after the meeting? And, and if I give away money, you know, what's going to happen and where am I going to live? And, and, and what I found is that God is big on commands and very light on detail. I knew that God had said, give money away, but as for how I was going to survive having given this money away and what my future was, he was completely silent. God said, step out in faith. He said, speak to this person, become part of that ministry. And, and when I asked, well, how's that going to work out? He didn't have much to say about that. And so here's what happened in my life. I went from being absolutely certain of spiritual things, so, sorry, uncertain of spiritual things, but certain of natural things, to being completely flipped around where now I was sure God was speaking to me, but I hadn't a clue how any of it was going to work out. 
Here's the dynamic in the Christian life, and this is a life of faith. The more sure you are of God, the less sure you'll be of everything else. Because God will ask you to do things, but how many of you know God doesn't give you a 10-point plan? He doesn't give you the whole staircase. He just gives you a step and asks you to move forward. But it's my certainty of God that enables me to embrace the uncertainty of what following Jesus by faith necessarily means. Oswald Chambers put it like this. To be certain of God is to be uncertain in all our ways. Because you never know what a day may bring. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be an expression of breathless expectation. I like that. To be certain of God is to be uncertain of everything else because you just don't know what God's going to ask you to do. You don't know what God's going to bring across your path next week, next year. You don't know what vision God's going to drop in your spirit, what dream God's going to put in your life, what person God's going to ask you to reach out or, or what thing God's going to ask you to invest in. And for most people, being unsure is frightening, but Oswald Chambers says this is what makes a Christian life an incredible adventure. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus put it like this. He said, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Weird scripture, right? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no... Foxes and birds being compared and contrasted with the Son of Man. Uh, well, well, how many of you know foxes and birds are natural creatures? The Son of Man is a spiritual creature. Here's what Jesus is saying. Natural creatures make very sure of natural things. A fox makes sure of its hole. A fox is a natural creature making sure of natural things. Birds make sure of their nests. A natural creature making sure of natural things. But the Son of Man, a spiritual being, he's completely clueless and unsure when it comes to natural things. In other words, Jesus is promising you and I high levels of uncertainty. Perhaps that's the only promise God makes to you and I. Jesus says, follow me and you never know where you're going to end up. And that is about the only guarantee you get when you're following Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it records how Jesus called the disciples into ministry. And many of us would be familiar with this passage. Remember the disciples are fishing and Jesus rocks up and, and just changes their life. And, and it's easy to read it and miss this incredible transaction that happens. It says that Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and there were two brothers, Simon and Andrew, they were fishing. Matthew says, for they were fishermen. I love how the Bible's written for people of all levels of comprehension. They were fishing, for they were fishermen. No kidding. I thought that's why they were casting nets into the sea. And uh, what Matthew is trying to say is he's not thinking we're a bit slow. He's trying to emphasize fishing isn't what they did. Fishing's who they were. If you asked them what they'd be doing tomorrow, they would say fishing. If you said, what are your plans for 2020? They'd say fishing. If you said, so have you got a five-year plan? They'd fishing. If you said to them, what do you reckon your kids will grow up to? Well, they'll be fishermen. Because his own father before him was a fisherman and his grandfather before him. In other words, their life was routine, regimented, diarized. They knew exactly what they would be doing. And into their familiarity steps Jesus. And how many of you know Jesus is a great disruptor of familiarity? And so here are these fishermen fishing because they were fishermen. And Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he just walks off. Now, if I were them, I would say, whoa, 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 hey, pause. Like, fishes of men, what, what actually is that? Now, you and I know he means they're going to plunder hell, populate heaven. But we've got 2,000 years of thinking about this. In that moment, fishes of men doesn't even make sense. 
If I were them, I would say, well, could we sit down and have a coffee and could you explain to me this concept, fishers of men? Is, can, can you introduce me to someone who's done the fishers of men internship who could maybe recommend it? I would have gone online and checked out Google reviews to see what everyone else has said about fishers of men. Is there a prospectus, a brochure? Is there a video I can watch? Could, could you give me some details? How much does it cost? Is it government accredited? What do I get at the end of this? I would have had a million questions, but I don't get a chance to ask them because Jesus is gone. Jesus doesn't hang around to explain it all. He simply says, I want you to believe that I am here speaking to you and trust me. And because you are certain of me, be willing to embrace the uncertainty of what following me entails. And here's the amazing part. It says that immediately they left their nets and followed him, which means this. In that moment, the disciples reckoned this is not just another impressive rabbi. This is not just a great moral teacher. This is not just an incredible showman who does some amazing magic tricks. This is the Son of God. This is God incarnate. This is perfection personified. This is the anointed one, the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. This is God in flesh. And they were so sure of who God was, they were willing to be unsure about everything else for the rest of their lives. How many of you know, in hindsight, most of the defining moments in our lives are when we sacrifice the need to be sure before we'll do anything? I remember when I went to Bible college, I was working as a journalist with uh, News Limited, and, um, and I had a great job, and I loved it, and it was fantastic, and, and then God said to go to Bible college. And like most people, I responded with a million questions. Well, if I go to Bible college, like how am I going to pay my fees? I want to have a job. So, so where am I going to live? And, and where am I in five years? I mean, at News Limited, I know in five years where I'll be in the news industry. But if I go to Bible college, what guarantee is there that, that I'll have anything to show for it at the end? And, and I don't know anyone else who's doing Bible college. And to every question I had, God was silent. He didn't speak to me again. He'd already said all he was going to say. He just said, go to Bible college. And I wrestled with this until eventually I decided, I am sure that God said to go to Bible college. I'm so sure that that's what God said. I actually don't need to be sure about anything else. And I went to Bible college and, and the rest, as they say, is history. I remember leading a church and we decided to plant other churches. And the first time we planted another church, we really felt God said plant a church in Cairns in North Queensland. But we thought, well, if we do that, like, how are we going to pay for that? And, and who are we going to send there? And I'm flat out running one church, let alone like two. And we don't know anyone in Cairns. And, and how are we going to find musicians? And, and to every question we had, we just were unsure, unsure, unsure. And after about two years of asking questions for which there were very few answers, eventually we thought, well, what are we sure of? And this was the one thing of which we were sure. God said, plant a church in Cairns. And so we were so sure God said plant the church in Cairns. We went to Cairns, unsure if anyone would meet us there, how we're going to pay for it, if, or if we'd ever establish a church there. And today there's a thriving church in Cairns, but only because we gave up the need to be sure before we'd do anything. You know, um, in Matthew 19, there is the companion story for Matthew 4, which we just read. Uh, in Matthew 19, there's another young man who has an incredible opportunity to become a disciple of Jesus. Uh, in Scripture, we don't ever get his name. Uh, he's just called the rich young ruler. How I many of you know you don't need a name when you're the rich young ruler? I mean, this guy, I'd love to meet him. I'd love to be him. Um, I mean, he's rich. 
right, it's just me, but I, Woody Allen was asked, how much money does it take to man happy? He said, well, just a little bit more. Um, so he's rich, that's good. Uh, but he's not just rich, he's young. He's a rich, young ruler. How many of you know that's significant? Because what's the good of being rich when you're old? There's only so many ways you can pimp your walker. Um, but, uh, but he's rich and he's got the vitality of youth to enjoy it. And he's not just rich and young, but he's powerful. He's practically a Kardashian. And, and that's what makes his question to Jesus all the more astonishing. He, he says, what good thing must I do to have you? In other words, he says, I'm rich, young, powerful, and yet there's got to be something more. I'm thinking, what more do you need? Jesus says, well, why don't you try keeping all the commandments? To which he says, I have. From my youth. So he's rich, young, powerful, and upstanding member of his faith community. And he still says, there's something missing. And Jesus says, I can help you with that. Just sell everything you own, give it all away, and follow me. How many of you know, no one has ever been offered a better opportunity in the history of humanity. He's offered front row seats to the greatest show on earth. This is the greatest college internship anyone could ever be offered. You get to travel with Jesus for the next three years. When he preaches the Beatitudes, you've got front row seats. When he walks on water, you can have a try if you want. When he multiplies food to feed the 5,000, he does it through your hands. When he's crucified, you're there. When he rises from the dead, you could be the first to witness it. This is the greatest opportunity anyone's been offered. And he said, yeah, but if I give everything away, how am I going to eat? And, and where are we living anyway? And, and in five years' time, where do I end up? And the Bible says he went away sad, never to be heard from again. He becomes a footnote in history. Meanwhile, uh, the disciples, uneducated, uncouth and experienced, are traveling the world. Peter ends up in Italy, John in Asia, James in Spain, Thomas in India. 500 years before the age of exploration, these men are not just traveling the world, they're turning the world upside down. Thinking about it, if I were to pick a disciple, I would not have picked the disciple Peter. I mean, he, he swore, uh, he denied Jesus, he was a hothead. On one occasion, he calls Jesus Satan. He's not the sort of person you want as your key guy, but the rich young ruler, rich, powerful, upstanding member of his community, he's the guy you want, except he lacked the only qualification God needs, faith. He, he had everything going for him, except he needed to know details before he'd do anything. I've met church boards like this. Uh, the pastor has a vision and the church board sit around the table with their arms folded and they say, well, yes, it sounds great, but how are we going to pay for that? How many of you know the pastor doesn't know? And it's not because the pastor's dumb or ignorant or hasn't done his homework. It's just that God never tells you those things. God just says, here's what I want you to do. And of course, then we all say, but Lord, how are we going to pay for that? And the Lord is silent. And then you've got to sit with the board and the board say, well, how? And, and God doesn't even say those things. And that's why you get churches that get into the paralysis of analysis where they won't do anything until every T has been crossed and every I has been dotted. And they say, well, we'll sow into your vision or we'll get behind you when you can explain how it's all going to work. And how many of you know, no man of God ever knows how it's all going to work because God never gives those details. God just says, leave Haran. To which we say, to where? And he says, I'll tell you where you're going when you get there, and it's the certainty of who God is that enables us to embrace the uncertainty of what following God will mean. Jesus says to this rich young ruler, you don't need to pray more. You don't need to read the Bible more. 
It's not like you need to, to fast for the next 30 days. He says, your problem is not a lack of prayer or a lack of word or a lack of fast. Your problem is that you're bored. Your life is so diarized, so regimented, so routine. You're so sure of everything, there's no room for me. But Jesus says, I can fix that. Get rid of everything you have, then nothing will be certain, and you'll be totally reliant on me. That'll be an adventure. Then you'll be happy. That's the only way to live. Paul says the righteous will live by faith. Not the righteous expressed faith once upon a time. Not when I got saved, I expressed faith. This is the way that we live as believers. We constantly step out in faith. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you're always waiting for your ducks to be in a row, you don't even own ducks. Some people are waiting for their ship to come in. They never sent one out. The scripture says, if you're always waiting for perfect conditions, you'll do nothing. Because how many of you know there is never a perfect day? Who's ever been to church and they were receiving the offering and thought, this is a great day for me to give? I've been in church all my life and there's never been a Sunday that was a good Sunday for me to give money away. Not once. How many of you know there will never be a perfect day? There's just today with all of its complexities, its imperfections and all of its uncertainties. But I know that God has called me and I know that God has spoken to me and that's enough to take a step of faith. I'm not saying don't do due diligence. I'm not saying don't use the wisdom God gave you. I'm not saying don't get godly advice. I'm not saying don't use your brain. I'm simply saying there comes a time when you've got to stop waiting for every question to be answered and simply step out in faith because I know that God has spoken. And until you're willing to do that, you don't even get started on the adventure of faith. Andy Stanley put it like this, there will always be an element of uncertainty. Generally speaking, you're probably never going to be more than 80% certain of anything. Waiting for greater certainty might cause you to miss an opportunity. Uncertainty actually increases with increased leadership responsibility. The more responsibility you assume as a leader, the more uncertainty you're going to be expected to manage. The cost of success as a leader is greater uncertainty, not less. You know, if Abraham had waited until he knew everything, he would never have left Haran. He would never have had a miracle child. He would never have possessed a promised land. He would never have been known thousands of years later as the father of the faith. But Abraham, because he was sure of God, was willing to live life unsure of pretty much everything else. And because of that willingness, he becomes one of the great figures in history. You know, the difference between mediocrity and greatness is, is surprisingly small. It's just a willingness to step out in faith. Let me finish the message with a pop quiz. You ready? All right, let's see how smart you are. Um, uh, groups of animals. They, they typically give names to groups of animals. Uh, so, for instance, um, one bird on its own is called a bird, but a whole bunch of birds together is called a... Very good. Okay. They're as intelligent as you said, Pastor Rick. All right. Let's do a slightly more difficult one. A group of, uh, a group of dogs is called a, a pack. Very good. A group of fish is called a, a school. A group of dolphins is a, a pod. Excellent. A group of cats. That's hell. <laughs> a, uh, a group of crows. Please don't talk like that in church. 
uh, a group of, do you know what a group of crocodiles is called? A snap of crocodiles. That would be better. But, you know, a group of crocodiles, this is true, a group of crocodiles is called a congregation. <laughs> I preached in that church a few weeks ago. A congregation of crocodiles. Huh. Do you know what a group of vultures is called? A committee. A committee of vultures. You know what a group of wombats is called? A wisdom. Yeah, a wisdom of wombats. That's weird on a couple of levels. Firstly, I, I've never seen like a group of wombats. I've seen one wombat, but it's not like you see a, you know, oh, there's a bunch of wombats hanging out at the corner store. And, and I've never looked at a wombat and thought, there resides all wisdom. Uh, I was in Africa a few years ago and went on safari, as you do in Africa, and, you know, a, a group of lions is called a, a pride, and you, you, you're looking for the big five, right? And, and I'd seen four, but the, the one animal I'd not seen was um, rhino. You know what a group of rhino are called? A crash. A crash of rhino. There's two things you need to know about a rhino. The first thing you need to know is a rhino can run at 50 kilometers an hour. That's quick. For perspective, a squirrel, not just any squirrel, like a Usain Bolt squirrel, can run at 42 kilometers per hour. A rhino can run at 50 kilometers an hour. Here's the second thing you need to know about a rhino. A rhino can't see more than nine meters in front of its own face. Think about the physical dynamics of this. You've got this hulking great beast running at 50 k's an hour with no idea what's nine meters in front of its own face. How many of you know a rhino doesn't need to know what's out there? It just needs to know what God put right here. A rhino is so sure of what God put here, it's not worried about what's out there. How many of you know we need a crash of Christians who really don't worry about what's out there? We're just very sure of what God put in here. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in... If God is for me, who can be against me? My future, God's got a good future, not for my harm or not for evil, but to bless me and to give me great hope. God works all things together for good. He rejoices over me with singing and dancing. He's got my future in his hand. I'm so sure of what God's put here. I don't need to worry about what's out there. Like you, I've got no idea what's over the next corner, around the next bend. Twenty. 20 is a puzzle to me. Who knows what's going to happen in 2020? But who needs to know to be sure? All I need to know going into a new year is what God put right here. And that's enough to give me the assurance I can crash through whatever obstacles, whatever challenges, whatever difficulties might come. If you go into a new year with that kind of spirit, I tell you, nothing can come against you. Have you ever seen a timid, shy, anxious, fretful rhino picking its fingernails? pulling out its hair, chewing gum, worried. It's an oxymoron, isn't it? A, a rhino is not hiding in the shadows, afraid to step out in case it gets into trouble. A rhino just barges through. No idea what's out there, but very sure what God put here. How many of you know it's an oxymoron to have a timid rhino? Well, it's an oxymoron to have a timid church. Imagine the people of God in the shadows. Well, you better not say anything because someone might you know, get up us on social media. Well, we better not be too honest about what we believe. You know, let's just love everybody and not say anything else, which is really not saying anything anyway. And let's just keep quiet and keep our head down because, you know, it was great for Jesus to die naked on a Roman cross for us, but we wouldn't want to, you know, stick our necks out for him. And so let's just, because we're a bit worried what might happen. And, and because, you know, we say, it's an oxymoron to have a scared, timid, afraid church. We need a church in 2020 
that, that is literally a crash of Christians who are not worried about what's out there. Who has a clue what's out there? I don't know. But I do know what God put in here. And it's my assurance of who God is that enables me to go into a new year and embrace the, the uncertainties that necessarily will be involved. You know, for our church, who knows what 2020 will bring? I know we've got some big dreams as a church. We've got some great vision. But how are we going to pay for it? No one knows. Who's going to do it? Well, not sure yet. What's it going to look like five years from now? Is it going to work? Don't know, don't know, don't know. But I do know we can crash through whatever problems or encounters that rise up along the way because I know what God's put in our hearts and I know God spoke to us. And how many of you know that's enough? I'm trying to convince you tonight that's always been enough. I remember when I first came to to Strong Nation Church because I'd heard about Pastor Rick and Naomi and just how brilliant they were. And, and when I got here, I was not disappointed. Everything people had said was true. The place runs like a well-oiled machine. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everything's sorted and in order. It's, I was really impressed. And so I was so impressed I started to get involved. And so they let me be on the door and welcome people, which I, was a great honor. And I did that well. And so then they let me get involved in the music team and, and that was pretty good. And, uh, and, and then as I got more and more involved in the church here, I, I had the privilege of getting closer and closer to Pastor Rick and Naomi. And, and to my shock, like I hadn't realized this when I was just like looking in from the outside, but the closer I got to them, the more I realized they haven't got a clue what they're doing. <laughs> they haven't got the faintest idea. I was horrified. I thought, you know, from the outside, I look, oh man, they've got like a 10-year plan. They know exactly everything that's going to happen. And that's not true. They haven't got the faintest idea. And you know what? That's why I stayed here. Because why would I want to go to a church where they're so diarized, so regimented, so routined? Man, they won't do anything until they're absolutely sure. There's not even any room for God. I would only ever go to a church where the pastors were completely unsure whether or not this is going to work, let alone how it's going to work. But they are very sure. God said, let's take a step of faith. I want to be in a church where we're very sure of what God's... In fact, we are so sure God spoke. We're going to take some risks, step out in faith, and God knows we'll crash through a few things if we have to, but we're going to be obedient to what God said. We are not going to sit on our hands discussing and, and analyzing and... and going over and over all the little details because that never ends. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get it through to you that you're no better than Abraham. Don't think, oh, well, God's going to give all. God didn't give Abraham, the father of the faith, any details. What makes you think, oh, God will give me all the details, then I'll do something. The details are not coming. There's just what God said. And then there's an invitation to live the most exciting adventure that a human being can ever embark upon. The adventure of faith. What certainties do you need to let go of in order to embrace the destiny God's got for your life? Destiny, significance, breakthrough is a lot closer than you imagine. It's a lot possibly easier than you imagine. Maybe it's not more education, more prayer, more Bible reading you need. Maybe it's just letting go of a few things. that You said, but, 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 but I've got to be sure. And, and maybe it's just, you know, God, I'm... All right, I don't need to be sure. I'm just going to obey you. What certainties do you need to let go of in order to embrace the future God's got for your life? For some of you, maybe God's been talking to you about a, a ministry 
direction or a, a career path for next year or a, a mode of study for next year. And you've been thinking, well, well, I want to do that, but how am I going to pay for it? And what's going to happen? And, and I'm trying to encourage you. It's very likely God will not answer any of those questions. The only question is, did God speak to you? Maybe some of you have had things in your heart for the last two, three, five, ten years. You've had dreams in your heart and you're thinking, one day, and I'm here to tell you, the perfect day will never come. There's just the word of the Lord. If, if God didn't give Abraham any details, he said, I'll tell you where you're going when you get there. What makes you and I think that God's going to give us a, a glossy brochure with, with a beautiful plan to follow? God's just going to give you a word. And I want to encourage you, if you're confident of what God's put inside you, that's enough to crash through every obstacle and every barrier and every uncertainty you'll face as an individual. But how many of you know corporately as well? As a church going into 2020, Man, we'll be full of vision, and there's a lot of great opportunities and initiatives as we go into 2020. And I know what it's like. We sit here and say, yeah, but pastor, how are we going to do that? And how's it going to work? And, and who's going to, and so on and so forth. And you know what? Those questions are never answered. There's just an opportunity to take a step of faith. But if we had a whole company of people who just said, pastor, I don't think you know. We don't know either, but, but I do believe God spoke to you. In fact, I reckon God's spoken to me as well. I share the vision with you. Let's, I'm going to be with you. Let's just crash through whatever we need to crash through in Jesus' name. How many of you know then the church begins to move forward with power? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. Gee, that was a good sermon. Self-confidence is a thing I lack. You doing Okay. Not you, just generally you. I wasn't speaking specifically to you, but I'm glad you're well. Close your eyes for a second. We're going to pray. I like this church. Have we got keyboard music? Because I can't pray without music. Not that music. All right, that'll do. Go and just close your eyes for a moment. I want to pray for a couple of things. First and foremost, I want to pray for any person here who, who says, James, I'm not even right with God. You know, I was talking about spiritual questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? You know, um, those are the real questions of life. And, uh, and you've got to answer those questions. And the moment you answer those questions and realize you're made in the image of God, God loves you. God's always loved you. You're not here making up the numbers. You're not just here by chance. God made you on purpose for a purpose. And the moment you open your heart to your creator, suddenly things begin to make sense and come into alignment. And there may well be people here this evening who've never, ever made their peace with God. I'm not asking if you've been to church before. You may well have been. I'm not asking if you're a religious person or a spiritual person. You may well consider yourself to be. What I'm asking is this. Is, has there ever been a moment in time when you stopped and made a deliberate decision to say yes to Jesus? If you have never said yes to Jesus before, why wouldn't you do that now? Why would you go home the same way you arrived? To say yes to Jesus. And so in just a moment, not now, but in a second, I want to pray for every person who says, James, I know I'm not right with God. And to be honest, you don't need a preacher to tell you when you're not right with God. You know that in your own heart. I didn't need a preacher to tell me I wasn't right with God. I, I knew that myself. Look at me for a second. No one needs a church to know they're not right with God. Every January 1st, I would remind myself I should be a better person than I am. 
I knew I wasn't right with God. I knew I was so far short of who I was meant to be. And so I'd make resolutions. The major resolution was to put them all off for another 12 months. Because I not only knew I wasn't who I was supposed to be, but I also knew, man, no matter how hard I try, I always just revert back to who I was. I knew who I was supposed to be, but I also knew I lacked the power to ever be it. I didn't need a church to tell me I wasn't right with God. I knew that in my own heart. What I did need was for someone to explain to me, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done, God loves you. And if you would take a small step towards God, God would come running towards you. You can close your eyes again. There'll be people here tonight, and and maybe it's one person, maybe it's 20 people, I don't know. But I tell you what, I would hate to have just wasted an evening tonight where you go home the same way you arrived. This is not the Rotary Club. It's not a community event. This is the house of God. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. You can make your peace with God in this very moment and go home a different person. Here's what we're going to do. While we've got our eyes closed, in just a second, I want to pray for every person who says, James, I'm not right with God, but I want to be. And in a moment, not now, but in a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up high if that's you. I'll see it, acknowledge you, then you can put it down. just helps me know who to include in this prayer. There'll be other people. You've already given your life to Jesus, but you're not walking with God the way you know you ought. You too are going to lift your hand. I'll see it, acknowledge you. You're going to recommit your life to Christ. Then you can put your hand down. No one else is going to see, but there's a lot of people here tonight, but you are an important individual. And for me, there's no greater privilege in life than praying with, with individuals who are just making their peace with God. So right now, while every eye is closed, If that's you, you say, James, I know I'm not right with God, but I want to be. Would you include me in this simple prayer? Real quick right now, shoot your hand up high so I can see it. Then we're going to pray up the front here. God bless you. You can put your hand down. Someone else. Real quick. God loves you. He's not against you. He's for you. Just say yes. As if you'd say no to God. Say yes to Jesus. Quickly, last opportunity before we pray. Is there anyone else? God loves you so much. He really does. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're all going to pray out loud together. I want you to pray out loud after me. Mean this with all of your heart. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. I know you love me. You proved it when you died on the cross for my sin. Forgive me for all I've done wrong. Wash my heart clean. From this day on, I put my faith and trust not in myself, but in you. Help me, I pray. Father, for every person who prayed that prayer from their heart, Lord, I pray let tonight be a turning point in their life. Where there's been guilt and condemnation, may they know love and forgiveness. Lord, where there's been confusion, I thank you for the clarity that your spirit brings. Lord, where people have felt alone and hopeless, Lord, I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name, we pray your blessing. Amen.